the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the incredible difficulties interpreting scripture is the frequent allusion to agrarian metaphors, the language of farming and ranching. You see, for people of the Hebrew scriptures, as well as for many at the time of Jesus, illustrations related to the cultivation of the land or grazing of animals were familiar because they reflected their own experience or that of immediate ancestors. However, I suspect few of us in this congregation this morning know the difference between a harrow and a plow. Few of us can discern Holstein cattle from Angus. And I suspect none of us could long hold forth on the relative merits of John Deere, Massey Ferguson, and Case Tractors. The reality for most, if not each of us, is that the life of the land is far removed from our everyday experience. While our lives depend on the food it yields, our incomes generally do not. Many of us probably don't know farmers and ranchers, having spent most of our lives amidst concrete and asphalt. And even if we do know a few, they no longer reflect Norman Rockwell's portrait of the family farm a sector of the economy now dominated by large multinational corporations, Tyson, ConAgra, and even our own Monsanto. And so it is this morning that we approach several biblical texts rich in the imagery of ranching, images familiar to the original audience, yet quite removed from we 21st century Christians. To be sure, the 23rd Psalm, read just moments ago, uses a staple of rural life, a shepherd of sheep, to convey to the people of Israel the intimacy, love, and protection their God provides for them. And the lesson from Acts, although not explicitly using the metaphor of a shepherd, speaks to the abundance of life, food, and possessions shared by and through the faithful community of Christ reminiscent of the abundant protection of God, so beautifully captured in the 23rd Psalm. And yet, despite our lack of familiarity or even practical experience with ranching, somehow, some way, each of us seems to have gleaned a sense of the inherent goodness of shepherds. With that perspective, well ingrained in the life of ancient Israel, well ingrained in the life of the disciples who followed Jesus, what possible purpose could there be in telling yet one more story, as John did this morning, about shepherds? Is there something new for his audience and for us to learn? Is there a dimension of God reflected in a shepherd's humble presence that we've yet to explore? Or can we 
simply conclude that we fully understand the imagery of Jesus as the Good Shepherd, wrap this ser sermon up early, and adjourn to Mitchell Hall for coffee. <laughs> Not so fast. We could. But if we do so, we overlook the other characters essential to this morning's gospel. What about the sheep? Both in popular culture and classic literature, I think sheep get a bad rap, often focused on their presumed stupidity. All of us have certainly heard, maybe even used the phrase like, lambs being led to the slaughter as if sheep were somehow genetically predisposed to follow one another even to their own death. Four-legged lemmings. John Muir, the 19th century naturalist and poet, once remarked about sheep that an entire flock is required to make one foolish individual. And some of us, perhaps you and me, have even concluded that sheep look downright stupid though I wonder how we must look to sheep. Despite our perceptions, however, sheep are in fact quite successful. Think about this. More than a billion of them inhabit all parts of the world. Their life consists of grazing contentedly on grasslands and being sheared for their comfort during the summer and during the winter being fed, all by folks like you and me. Not a bad life. And while perhaps appearing stupid to even the discerning eye of a scholar like John Muir, sheep are in fact reasonably intelligent, having the ability to both recognize each other and interpret when one is being treated differently than another. That is a crucial point in understanding this morning's text. It's also something very important to understand about sheep. To test this hypothesis, researchers a number of years ago divided several flocks of sheep into two groups, equipping one of them with a GPS transponder wrapped on a collar. As it turned out, the ones without collars quickly recognized that the shepherd was paying more attention to those who were being electronically tracked. And they also noticed that those sheep had something they didn't, collars. They attacked them, and they ripped off the collars. Now, the lessons from this experiment are twofold. First, sheep are reasonably perceptive. And second, sheep react really badly when they're treated differently by their shepherd. Clearly, I think Jesus understood this as he described the heart of a shepherd. Summoning all of the sheep, not just a select few, with a single voice to join a single flock. But as we think about sheep, it's not just they who misbehave. There were profound rivalries, competing interests, and vanities of all sorts embedded in the early Christian community about which John wrote. And so too are there in the organizations 
families and churches of our own time. Regardless of the historical period, we try to differentiate ourselves by education, by titles, by accomplishments, by neighborhoods, houses, politics, by cars, clothes, and even cooking. Let's face it, folks. Most of us want to stand out in some way, and we get downright irritated when others encroach on our turf and get more attention than we do. We're akin to the two flocks of Irish experimental sheep, each of us wanting to be recognized, accepted, and welcomed specifically by our shepherd, even as we fail to recognize we're part of a larger community. It's precisely in this context of both our distinct and our shared lives that John the Evangelist paints such a beautiful portrait of Jesus, the good, the perfect shepherd. A shepherd who names each of us individually in our own baptism. A shepherd who hears our prayers and our personal cries for help. A shepherd who comforts us in our grief and our sorrows. Indeed, Jesus knows each of us, recognizes each of us, and celebrates each of us as the unique people we are. However, as John makes clear, a shepherd also has charge of a flock. And so it is Jesus, our shepherd, who gathers us together at this table in remembrance of him. It is Jesus who sends us from this sacred space to serve a world struggling, torn, and pained. And it is Jesus who guides us, protects us, and lifts us up for the work and ministries to which each of us has been called. Yet the same John Muir mentioned earlier in this sermon also observed that despite the careful attention of their shepherd, sheep would invariably scatter at the first threat of danger, the presence of a bear, the clumsy footsteps of a poacher, or the clouds of a looming storm. Not unlike these sheep, I think we too often find ourselves scattered. Some of us lost or abandoned by families and friends in the face of a crisis. We too frequently lose our own way in a world of competing priorities, shallow promises, and unrealized expectations. And we too readily leave the care of our shepherd as if we truly could flourish on our own, or at least for the fun of exploring a greener pasture. Thankfully, Jesus, our shepherd, looks out for us, welcomes us back into the fold of the Christian family, and wraps us in a loving embrace. Indeed, the Lord is my shepherd and yours.